All right. Moonshine Jesus, nobody sky. Moonshine Jesus, baby, no Moonshine Jesus, a surprise and delight. Moonshine Jesus, won't you shine a light? Hello. And welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are glad that you're with us today. ProgressiveChristianity.org sponsors Moonshine Jesus Show and hope that you will go and check out all of the wonderful progressive Christian resources there and that you'll follow us on social media. I'm here today with my good friend, Mark. How are you doing today, Mark? Howdy, howdy. Glad to be here, man. Excited. Yes, excited to talk about the Sandman. But here's an important thing to know. Uh, Uh If you haven't seen it, uh, mm-hmm. You're going to get some spoilers along the way. Uh, we like to call ourselves a spoiler full zone. So uh, I think that uh, for us to really delve in, we kind of we kind of spoil some things. But I, th- I yeah. hope you'll hang out and have a fun time with us. And one of the things that we do is we start off by having mm-hmm. a themed cocktail. And Mark, I can't wait to hear what your themed yeah. cocktail is for Sandman. You know, I- I'm actually more excited about yours. Mine is actually simply called the Sandman. Uh, uh-huh. I, I think probably because it looks a little bit like sand in a glass. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, one part vodka, one part lime juice, one part pineapple juice, half a part triple sec. And then just as you, you, you shake that up over and pour it over ice, and then you, you top it with a little Coca-Cola, which gives it that brownish haze of kind of a sandy look. Rather than being mixed, it floats in between it. So uh, I'm having a Sandman. What are you having? That, that looks really good. I like that. It is very sandy in quality. So I am nice. having something that I'm calling the su- Sweet Dreams. Sweet Ooh, Dreams. Oh, I like and, this. And it's pretty decadent, I've got to admit. <laughs> so, oh, my this gosh. Is, I'm jealous uh, already, and I, I don't even know it's it. Looks it. Pretty, I know, right? <laughs> it's it's, it looks very de- decadent. Okay, so it's an adult hot chocolate, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, the, so the mix looks like sand, and it looks like sand kind of yep. here with different layers. Sure does. And so it's got ice cream. It's got a shot of uh, peppermint schnapps, a shot of Kahlua mm. with hot chocolate poured over it, and it is topped with whipped cream <laughs> and sprinkles and, sprinkles. and chocolate chips. Uh, it looks yeah. like a, it looks like an incredible dream. I, I I will probably be dreaming of it tonight. Frankly, I, I think I will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm going to be going to sleep with a stomachache. So you know, uh, we'll, well, we'll, we'll see. Well, well, here's to both of us. Uh, with you going to bed with a stomachache, you can have the nightmares, and I'll have the sweet dreams, wishing I had yours. Oh, okay. I like. Cheers. That. Cheers. Hmm. Mm. That's pretty good. Is yours good? Yeah, I could go into the rotation. I, I, I'm not even going to. I know how good yours has to be. That sounds so delicious. It is very sweet, very chocolatey. <laughs> Wonderful. Lovely. Okay, hey, let's get into it. All right. Jesus. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're really glad you're with us. Today, we're going to be talking about Netflix adaptation of Neil Gaiman's uh, 
the Sandman comic, one of the best comics ever written. Uh, and, and just to keep people up to date and catch you up to what's going on in the Sandman, uh, Morpheus, aka uh, Dream of the Endless, aka Master of Dreams, aka Prince of Stories, aka Kalkachu, <laughs> aka the Sand. Okay, okay, I'll just, there's more, but I won't, I won't, I won't impress those on you. Anyway, uh, he's imprisoned <laughs> by a man who's trying to well, bring his son back to life. Uh, and then a century later, Morpheus, the Sandman, frees himself, but finds that he's he's basically weakened and his kingdom is rapidly falling apart and nightmares are actually roaming the earth now. And he goes on this uh, quest to regain the tools of his trade in order to rebuild his kingdom. And he ends up facing off with a whole host of enemies, including some of his siblings who personify different parts of uh, human condition. And the show, it, it moves through different time periods, different worlds, different genres, and then ultimately addresses the concepts of horror, humanity, and hope. So, Caleb, how familiar were you with the source material before you started watching the show? And then what did you think as you were watching, man? Yeah, so I knew absolutely nothing about right, the same man <laughs> I, I knew no so this was so i was like uh you know an average viewer coming in and watching this for the very first time and at, at first i wasn't quite sure what to make of the show you know mm. i i watched uh, a couple of episodes and i'm like do do i like this or not mm. what is what is going on here and as i went on i'm like oh this is asking some really deep questions right. and uh the other thing that really caught me off guard mark was you know a, mm. a lot of a lot of shows you really get uh, kind of a pretty consistent feel it's the same characters in every episode and and this and and we've got the main characters in the sandman but yeah. sometimes they're not really in the episode there are you know right. uh, two or three episodes that they're not really in and so mm -hmm. that kind of caught me off off guard a little bit and then uh, i thought well I, I think though i i really like this it's uh, you never quite know what to expect with with each episode but i know that you you were much more familiar <laughs> with the source material than i was yeah. and so what yeah, was this like I, for you well, well both because of who wrote it and because it's called the yeah. sandman and growing up that became a nickname of mine with the last name sandlin mm -hmm. I was just floored. This has been something that that uh, readers have been wanting to see happen. And there have been lots mm -hmm. of talk of movies. or movies, yeah. And there's been like a, a radio show made out of it that was reasonably good. But um, when I heard that Neil Gaiman was going to be involved in this, I had really mm -hmm. high hopes. And he is heavily involved. And for me, the experience was, you know, I read it, it, it when it first came out and a little bit younger and and it seemed such a, it seemed alive. It seemed to come off the mm. page. And this felt very much like it was a long time ago that I read it. So I don't have perfect memory of it, but I tell you, even down to, 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 to the dialogue, it felt like a comic book that I had already read that I knew recently well coming to life. It felt so real and so authentic and so true to the, 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 the original sources. I was a giddy kid again, man. I can't tell you. Mm how happy I was. And then a person who considers himself, you know, a theologian as somewhat a, of a uh -huh. philosopher, the, like you were pointing out the themes of this and the questions that were being asked implicitly and sometimes not so much were just 
Oh, it just, it, it, I can't, I, it's hard. You can tell by the times I'm stuttering, yeah. trying to figure out what to say. It excited me so much. And I am, it's one of my favorite shows in a very long time, a very long time. Yeah. I can see that because uh, there's, uh, for those of us who are interested in, in theology and even things like Greco-Roman mythology. Mythology, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so rich, rich. you know, it, mm. and if you've, if you've studied that stuff, it's like, ah, oh, yes, I, I love to see this explored and I love to see these characters in a modern context uh, because that's not something we get to see terribly often. And so uh, that was kind of fun. Uh, so it really I, I appreciated. I appreciated that as well. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get to a little bit more of the show, but yeah. I want to have a couple of shout outs of people who are watching us live. Yeah. First of all, Thor Olson uh, makes a great point. Uh, with our drinks here, we have the Sandman versus the Sweet Dreams. I kind of like that. Kind of like that. Yes. Uh, and also a shout out to a new new uh, uh, listener watcher, Dwight Lee Walter, who is uh, already loving the show. We're glad you're here with us, Dwight. Uh, and uh, hopefully you've seen The Sandman because it's not a spoiler-free zone. But uh, it is more than what, worth hearing what we have to say, even if you've not watched it and going back and filling in a little bit. So one of the main parts, Caleb, of this story mm -hmm. is the change from episode one to the last yeah. episode that we see in Morpheus. And mm -hmm. he, he, I'm curious what you believe is, is the arc of his character where he, he moves and changes from sort of this arrogant, heavy-handed, somewhat indifferent ruler to a much more sort of compassionate one. What did you see uh, in, in this storyline that impacted him in such a way that he moves from 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 the, those great differences, that's a, a large change. And well, in terms of years, it's a hundred years. But right, still, in terms of story, it was just a few episodes. Uh, what yeah. what did you see that that kind of pushed that? Yeah, and they did do a really good job of helping us to really go on the journey with the character and to see what was happening to, so that we could see some change. It didn't really feel rushed. And I think that's one of the primary questions of this show in general is, can people change? And what causes change, both personally and systemically? And I thought that was really right. interesting to explore. Absolutely. And that somehow dreams are an important part of that. And enough mm. people sharing a common dream as a part of seeing change. And I, I thought that was a really interesting way to bring the king of dreams into right. the modern world and to make it applicable to like to societal change. So I think one of the things, though, in Morpheus specifically that caused him to change was uh, was a focus on on personal relationships and on mm -hmm. seeing human beings as more than just than just objects or things. And I, I right. think the line of dialogue that, that we heard a lot is like, uh, are human beings here to serve us or are we here to serve them, you know, as mm -hmm. the endless? And I think a recognition that uh, it's kind of a, a both and. And I, I think that's right. a pretty good uh, thing yeah. for life too, right? That uh, that right. whenever we, we have this kind of dichotomy about love of neighbor and love of self, and maybe it's not so dichotomous, but it's like a back and forth. Yeah. And it's a yeah. full, so, so I think that was, what do you think? I, I think, I, I, yeah, I love, I love your point. One of my favorite, and, and kind of goes back to where I was going to go with this, goes back to a line uh, in, in an, an amazing episode called The Sound of Her Wings, where mm -hmm. death, uh, uh, Sandman Morpheus's uh, uh, sibling, is slowly helping people pass from, from uh, our world to their world. 
And uh, she has this amazing, like talking about they're, they're not here to serve us. We're not there. Like, yeah. She says, um, I'm holding their hand and they're holding mine. I'm not alone when I'm doing this job. And I yeah. thought this was a beautiful way of recognizing that, you know, we think of death as being this lonely thing. And, and, he, and, and then we also have to think about how we all sometimes think that don't realize the recip- how, how reciprocating relationships are that even in this way of telling the story that death, death self ends up recognizing that this is a mutual relationship that uh, I'm holding their hand. They're holding my hand. We're doing this together. It was sort of a, a, a beautiful a beautiful moment there. And I really do think that that episode where he follows along with his sibling death uh, to watch these folks passing. um, I really feel like that was the changing moment where the, the, Mm -hmm. the relationship, as you pointed out, really started changing the way he understood who he was and what his relationship with humanity actually, actually should be. And what was a good, healthy way of doing that. I loved that episode in particular. That was my favorite episode of, of all of them. And you and I were mm-hmm. chatting just briefly ahead of time. We said, hey, there are two standout episodes here. One right. is 24-7. And it's, you know, kind of horrifying. And then it's followed by this one, The Sound of Her Wings, that's about death. And uh, and so I thought it was beautiful that they put those two together because one is kind oh, of horrifying and one is beautiful. And so you get them back to back. But the thing I loved about The Sound of Her Wings was that Morpheus goes with uh, his sister Death, you know, as she's as she's doing this and as she's bringing people to the afterlife and when mm-hmm. go from this life to the next but then the second half of the episode explores his relationship over several yeah. hundred years with this guy who's opted not oh. to die they come to it they strike an agreement and he doesn't right. die and every hundred years they meet in the same tavern and he <laughs> says you still want to live and uh, and yeah. every year, every hundred years, he has to make that decision. I thought that yeah. was that was kind of powerful think, to explore. I, I thought it was too. And and it's, they actually, yeah. it's one of the rare times in the retelling that each episode doesn't represent a comic. This is actually two comics. Mm-hmm. That that change, that shift from death to Hob, I think is his name, where um, yeah. he he says he morpheus basically says i don't think that he'd really want to live when he's lived a long time but every hundred years he keeps yeah. going no 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 i want to keep doing this i want to keep doing this and i thought it was sort of brilliant to mix those two together of this person who wants to keep living and then the stories yeah. of folks who are actually passing but are passing it in, in somewhat yeah. of a peaceful way because of how um i love this version of death that death is is there yeah. to comfort and and not as this menacing dark hooded you know, uh, indifferent right. kind of being. I, I, I love that. There is something in that story. Yeah. I'm really curious about your take on. Mm-hmm. I think two of the most uh, striking deaths that death helps um, move into the next realm uh, come with uh, the old gentleman who's a, a violinist who uh-huh. uh, wants to uh, play Schubert's unfinished composition as his last act. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting to to juxtapose that with the other more striking, which was a child in its crib who was taken. Um, It was so interesting because he, the the gentleman, the violinist, clearly uh, not so much. He was well up in, in his age. I don't know that his 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 song was unfinished so much. Mm-hmm. But they juxta- they have him play this unfinished yeah. con- uh, concerto uh, composition from Schubert. And 
then they have this child whose whose song really was just starting. Um, I I just thought it was sort of beautiful, and I'm I'm curious why you if you have a thought of why they chose to put the unfinished uh, music, the concert concerto, the comp- composition into his hands. Uh, when his story was kind of like it was his last, the last note of his aria kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And uh, uh, Bella Chernoff Versace uh, also reminds us that, uh, that he recited the Shema and that was, uh, yes. that was a very powerful scene too. Yeah, I, I appreciated that. I think, and that scene was was striking and kind of hard. And, you know, I've got like a mm-hmm. one year old. And so seeing the right. baby in the wow. crib, like, you know, it, it it makes you really appreciate life, I think. And one of the things that I uh, I appreciated about that is they talked about death as a gift and how yeah. human beings don't often see it as a gift. And I think that one of the things that we often realize as life goes on is how short life actually is and how little time we actually have, but it takes years and wisdom to actually recognize that. And so I think the unfinished symphony is pointing to that, that sometimes no matter how much time you have, it doesn't feel like enough or there's a hope that there's something, uh, there's Mm -hmm. some part that can help reach completion. And I, and as we're younger, perhaps that we, we don't realize that in the same way. Um, and, and so I don't know, what what do you think? No, I, I, I agree. Kind of play off of that and, and maybe expand a little bit. One, as, as you said that, um, death talked about that, that humans don't see death as a gift kind of has this beautiful line that says, uh, uh, humanity is is so ready to accept birth, but not death, yeah. and and mm-hmm. unwilling to see them both as a gift. And I actually wonder if it wasn't an intentional juxtaposition to to try to be striking, uh, because this old man at some point um, is, at least on a subconscious level, seems to be feeling like his his, his song is unfinished. He wants to play this unfinished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this child uh, is taken early. And I wonder how much this is a commentary. I even just said this child's taken yeah. early, a commentary yeah. on our need to put life on a human timeline and place value on that life um, in terms of how long it exists rather than the mm. impact it has. I mean, think of the love that that child uh, brought into the world with it when it was born. And maybe it's just gentle way of reminding us that it, that there is no unfinished song, that the songs Mm. are present and that we can value them for what they are. And maybe we need to learn to distance ourselves from these human made timelines in terms of how they place value on something. I I wonder if that might, might be part of it. That's deep, man. (laughs) Well, that's what we do here. Uh, but listen, we could we could go on and on on this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I do want, want another quick uh, shout out to a person who is watching live who has a great question. Jim Gleason is asking, is the podcast coming back to the podcast has already come back. We've got, I think, 30 some episodes. You can download it, Jim, on any of uh, the places you would get your podcast. So please go look for us there but uh this segment we it has run its course Uh, we need to move on to our more uh, theological and political segment of the show which is really kind of the meat of what we're here for so we're going to hit a quick drop and we will be back on the other side
Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're moving into our Theopolitico segment. But before we do, I, I want to let you know that we also have a website, moonshinejesus.com. And if you go there, you'll find all of our podcasts. And we're going to start putting our drinks on there mm. as well. So if you're ever inspired by anything that, uh, <laughs> that we're drinking and you think, I want to try that, we're going to put our recipes there as well. So check out moonshinejesus.com. So we're moving into the Theopolitico segment. And I found this series to be so rich in mm. theological and political themes. Oh, absolutely. And so I have uh, several questions that I want to explore Uh-oh. during Uh-oh. this segment. But <laughs> I want to start here. Uh, I think the main thesis of this show uh, mm. is something that we were talking about a little bit earlier, and that's that dreams are powerful and that if enough people mm-hmm. share them, that great things can be accomplished. But uh, mm. Morpheus says this. He says, dreams rarely survive in the waking world. Nightmares, on the other hand, seem to thrive there. So I'm I'm curious, Mark, if you think that's true. And also, um, I, I'm curious about what you think about the whole notion of the kingdom of God being yeah. being a dream. Uh, so I'm <laughs> going to throw those two broad things out there. I want to see what you do with it. All right. Well, uh, I, for the first one, I would say no. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I, I disagree that that nightmares live better in the world than dreams. I think they both exist very readily. <clears throat> I do think it is part of the human condition that we tend to pay more attention to the nightmares. If anything, it might be go back to our last segment a little bit and relate to that we are much more willing to accept birth and much less willing to accept death. And we we almost like birth is great. We celebrate great. It's done. And then we stress the rest of our lives worrying about death. And I think that that's kind of the dream nightmare. If you if you take birth as the dream and death as the nightmare, which is what we sometimes unfortunately set it up in our head. And we spend all of this time and energy focused on the thing we fear rather than the the hopeful moments. Uh, so no, I, that first part of the question, I get why he said that, but I think that has to do more to do with how humans focus on it in the human condition than it has to do with reality and, and what uh, how how the world works and uh, and then it's in terms of uh, heaven being a dream, well, boy, that that's a complicated question, isn't it? Uh, depending mm-hmm. on how you understand dream, uh, uh, heaven. If you think of heaven as a real space, then it is a dream, right? It's this perfect place that everyone hopes to get to. Uh, if you think of a dream as a place that's not real and that is fictional in some ways. Um, well, it depends on where your theology falls, doesn't it? Since we don't really understand what the afterlife is like. What, uh, and, and so um, I'm okay with them putting it in that realm because there's so many loose definitions of both heaven and dream that I, I can kind of live with it. I can kind of live with it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I want to push back a little bit on what you say the theme of this is. Um, and, and it comes back to, I think, as a quote from the last episode where, where uh, uh, Dream, Morpheus, the Sandman, is talking to um, uh, uh, the devil. Mm-hmm. And um, she says to him, what power have dreams in hell? Mm-hmm. And he goes, what power would hell have if those in prison were not able to dream of heaven? I feel like maybe that's pointing to a, a, a close to the theme you're talking about, 
But an interesting philosophical question and even theological question, and it is that there is this intricate and maybe opposite relationship between fear and hope. And I feel mm. like this is a show about they coexist. They're basically opposites. I mean, think about how we think about the future. We either fear the future or we mm -hmm. are hopeful about the future. And I, I kind of feel like this is a story telling, being told from a, a rather dark space about how hope needs to overcome fear, that that is what the real value of life ends up being is when we can let hope overcome fear. I'm just curious if you see those as opposites and if if that might be part of what was going on in, in that conversation between the two. Yeah, as I was listening to the conversation, I thought um, that one of the things he was pointing to is that, you know, the the power of dreaming there was... Uh, for to to kind of create uh, this this sense of suffering, even mm -hmm. be, knowing that there's something better and not being right. able to to ever uh, you know obtain it. Right. Uh, so, I I don't know. I I think that there's um, I I think you know the difference between a, a dream and a nightmare is is mm. interesting as as we think yeah. about. you know I was I was thinking about. Um, in this segment and uh, when he was in hell and, and elsewhere, as they're talking about about dreams and hope and fear, I was thinking about uh, James Cone's book on uh, Martin and Malcolm and America. Have you read that one, Mark? And it's called An American Dream or a Nightmare, right? And, right. and, and mm -hmm. it depends kind of on your experience on, yes. on like if America is which a is which or a nightmare. Right. And so. Um, and so, you know, depending on your lived experience in uh, America, whether you're experiencing America as a dream or as mm -hmm. a nightmare. And I think maybe this plays into your point about about fear and hope, you know, because I think we see that in the United States a lot as we're thinking about right. the future of the United States and our current political situation. Right. Like, do you have hope about the future, about about who we mm -hmm. are? who we can become? Is that your primary way of responding to things? Or is it how the fear that is our primary way of responding to things? And I think we see that play out in um, in American politics. So that's that's something I, I don't think I really answered your question, but I walked right. all the way around no. it. And, no, and I, think it, I think it was a it was it was a very uh, needed uh, um, uh, nuancing uh, of it. And I and I really appreciate it very, very much. Uh, and I, can I ask a, a question in this yeah, segment? I know you're leading this segment. Yes. Um, Twenty four seven. That episode where yeah. they're in the yeah, we got to talk the, about the it. diner. I'm really curious at what your thoughts are. So, uh, for those who haven't yeah. seen it yet, and don't mind the spoilers. Uh, essentially, there is someone there who has a a crystal that allows him to make a wish, and that wish to come true no matter what. And his wish is that the world become completely truthful. And and what starts happening is everyone in the diner starts becoming blatantly truthful with each other. And ultimately, they all end up killing each other. So my question is, do you think a world with no lies actually means a world of destruction? I mean, that's a deep yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I, mean I, I respond instinctively, but I've seen in the comments too, a number of people say 24-7 was super hard to watch. And it was. I was I was yeah. sitting there, you know, and it breaks the pace of the show because you've been kind of following the same narrative up until that point. And then it breaks and you're it's the entire uh, episode is set in this diner and Morpheus isn't really there until the very end. And so it's it's different. And I was sitting there watching, you know, this this scene unravel as people not only stop you know with the social niceties but become Mm -hmm. 100% honest there's nothing held back and Mm -hmm. how that devolves and so I sit there watching it and thinking oh my gosh this is hard but this is an important conversation this is an important episode to watch for that reason because I think that there's something to be said uh, about why we have social conventions and niceties and and how those can right. be used to maintain relationships. And I don't You're think right. I've ever been someone who's been in favor of 100% honesty. I don't think any pastor. But isn't it interesting, though, that society frequently, <laughs> uh, frequently society, and I think this is an important conversation to yeah. have, frequently society will shame a person for not being truthful. And, and so right. I think it's important to talk about uh, – the kinds of truthfulness that are necessary and needed, those mm-hmm. that maybe we should not necessarily shame someone for, but call them out on when they're not being truthful about things. And then there are things that what we think of as the hard truth uh, isn't the caring truth. It's not, you right. know, uh, there's many uh, uh, dimensions to truth and you can give the hardcore truth or you can give a truth that that augments it or is a reality off of it. A person struggling with x and if you tell them that it could really make a a massive issue or you could talk about parts of it that are positive like how they've managed it well and that kind of thing so i mean what what are your thoughts on the type the variants of truths and which one are the ones that we should always try to be truthful about and ones that we should be careful about because of a a sense of compassion which the show's definitely also about compassion Yeah, so I love uh, Dwight Lee uh, Walther's Mm -hmm. comment. He's a listener here who says, honesty without compassion is cruelty. And I think that's that's right, that whenever we're speaking to other human beings, we have to think about love and compassion and care. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the message of Jesus, that that there are times, yes, when we need to be, we need to be active in truth-telling, especially when it comes to matters of injustice and oppression. Okay, those are Mm -hmm. things that we need to be 100% honest about we need to right. call that out and even in, in less formal settings you know of course you know when we're talking about congress and legislatively and all that kind of stuff but i think less formally too whenever we're doing human to human interactions right if we mm. hear people saying things that are racist or things that are blatantly wrong i think truth telling in those situations mm. is ex- extremely important but i think when we're talking about our interpersonal relationships always telling people what you think about every little thing is <laughs> isn't necessarily the most important thing. And it's not always necessarily the truth, right? Just because I uh, think something I doesn't necessarily make it true. I am so glad you said that because I, I I was about to talk to you about your shirt. So this is great. This is great. <laughs> this is good news. This is good news. my shirt, Mark. <laughs> not completely kidding. Completely kidding. It's actually very cool. Reminds me of, 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 this, of the stars in the sky, which reminds me of <laughs> dreams at night. So I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's my it's, truth. It's the matter. That's my, that was my whole that's, point. That's my, ed- that's my edge of the truth I was about to say. So. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, here's here's something else I want to talk uh, talk to you about. Right. I want to ask yeah. you, ask your question on this, and this has to do with Greco-Roman mythology because we brought this up, and I want to explore it a little deeply. <sighs> All right, and, well, and it's this. You go there. You might you're you're going to be more of an expert than I am on this. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I you're gonna okay. know that you're gonna know this. Okay, so right. I want to know the series. It's rich with this Greco-Roman mythology, important because that's the mythology that was around whenever Jesus lived and preached, right? Right. And so this this raised a question for me. Mm -hmm. So once people believed in a god named Morpheus. They worshipped him, right? Just like the right. other gods of the Greco-Roman pantheon. Now, mm -hmm. most people do not believe in Morpheus. Most people are not worshipping Morpheus or other gods in the pantheon. Uh, right. However, many people have a faith that claim that their truth is the truth, right? The one <laughs> oh, and yes. only truth. So, th so this is my question. How do we know? How do we know that our truth is the only truth? Uh, and should Christianity go the way of Morpheus? I mean, does, does the Christian <laughs> God go the right. go the way of the other Greco-Roman <laughs> gods? What do you think about that? Well, uh, first, I'll, I'll start with the question of is yeah. how do we know our, our God is the only God or the true God or the true truth or, or that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that that is a height of hubris to think that somehow you happen to be born into or be the, one of the rare folks on the face, if you weren't born into it, could find it and, and, and articulate it properly. Um, I, I think it's a much healthier understanding to recognize that, that humanity, for most of its existence, ha, has had a sense of something larger uh, than us. Um, which again, if there wasn't something, if we didn't believe there was something larger than us, that's also a bit of hubris as well, that we're the best thing the universe freaking has to offer. That's mm. a little scary to think of. Um, and so for me, logically, just purely logically, non-emotionally, not theologically, just straight up logically, certainly makes a lot of sense to say everyone's understanding of God is simply their pursuit uh, and uh, of this larger thing. It's their concept, their, their little, I've heard it described as, you know, uh, that, that whatever the divine is, is this giant pie and that each of us have figured out a little slice of it and are trying to understand it the best we can based on our slice and not recognizing all the other people's slices of of what that reality is. So uh, I, no, I, I, I think that that is the height of hubris. And, and you're going to have to remind me of your second part of your question, though. So my question then is, does should the Christian God go the way mm. of Morpheus? Mm. Or maybe the way Ellen Green said it, uh, why do we need a God? Why do we need God? Uh, should should God, the idea of right. divinity go away? What do you think of that? Well, I, that's two questions. So the first, my answer to the first one is, my answer to the first one is that um, what the Christian God has become in America, at least the predominant one, deserves to die. It is mean. It is cruel. It marginalizes. It self-aggrandizes. And it promotes a certain group of folks over others. That is hurtful and harmful and will never better humanity or the world in any way. If that is who God is, uh, no one needs that God, and we should seek to crucify it, period. Mm. Um, do we need a God? Well, of course not. Uh, does that negate the existence of something that's larger than us that might not be this personified thing that we try to make it? Um, 
I have the sense, I have the belief, uh, and when I look at religions around the world, that there is something larger than us. If I look at my experience in the world, I see that there's something larger than us, something that connects us, this energy um, that really seems to push us uh, overall towards the betterment of folks. And I think that's really important. So that concept of, quote, God, I think we do need. Hmm. Hmm. I, I appreciate that, Mark, and I appreciate the way that even though I threw like three or four questions out at you at a time, that you broke them up and you just responded to all of them and reminded us uh, of how good theology is done, right? Mm, what is it right. we need versus what is it that that is true? And if we're being honest with ourselves, what is true? So I, I appreciate you doing that, Mark. And I, I know we could sit here and talk about theology oh, and easily. politics of this all day, because as you and I talked about before this even started, each episode is packed. Mm. We could do, mm. you know, an episode of Moonshine Jesus on each episode of The Sandman. But alas, we cannot. And so right. we must move into our favorite segment of the show, Make Me yes. Look Stupid. So we're going to do a drop. We're going to come back. We're going to try to make each other look stupid. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. Uh, you caught me as I'm still trying to finish pouring myself another drink, but I think I just finally finished that off. You are joining us for, as Kayla pointed out, one of our favorite segments. It's called Make Me Look Stupid. This is uh, a segment in which we commence to try to ask a question that our co-host might find challenging. Uh, and so, Caleb, I am going to take the honors. Sometimes I try to be benevolent and hand them off to you, mm -hmm. but I am going to take the honors on this one. And it okay. takes a tiny bit of setup. So we've both talked about that probably the two standout episodes for us were 24-7 in the diner mm -hmm. and then the sound of her wings about death. Right. In 24-7, I would argue that at the core and, and how brilliant it was to put those back to back. It was, I think that there was a lot that happened and it was kind of the turning point, turning point in the story uh -huh. as well as for Morpheus, right? So I would argue... At the core of 24-7 is the story of horror, self-interest, and desire. And then it gets juxtaposed with the sound of her wings, which is about hope and kindness and compassion. My question is, is that the story of life? The mm. two juxtaposed against each other? Perhaps so. I I. I especially liked the thought that that death was um, death was the sign of of hope, which is not the message and compassion. That's not the narrative about death we have. In right, right. Um, and so that was that was really interesting to to sit with. But yeah, I, I think the the message that um, that yeah, life can be filled with with horror and greed and self-service and the way that you counter that is by compassion and care i think that's certainly uh the message of the church you know i think sure. whenever at least it should is, be 
Uh, yes. So I always have to add, you know, a little subtext there and say when right. it's at its best, because right. the church is often right. not at its best. Christians are often mm-hmm. not at their best and they're often right. more interested in self-service than anything else. But I think whenever we're actually following the teachings of Jesus, that, that that's kind of the core mm-hmm. of his message is that, you know, whenever we are uh practicing compassion and care, we're, we're combating the horrors of the world. And so um, earlier when I was asking about the dream of the kingdom of God, that's one of the things that I had in mind is that, you know, I mm-hmm. don't think the kingdom of God, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, I don't no. think he was talking about something outside of Absolutely this world. Absolutely not. I, I think he was talking about a dream for this world and the here mm-hmm. and now. That's the, that's the thrust of Jesus's message. And then it it's just hit dream. me that... And then it just hit me that you set me up with a softball question and I missed it. <laughs> Dang it. I mean, thank you, but dumb me. <laughs> well, I, I, I love did. it because I, I, I love the direction you taught it. Uh, well, I, because that's what I love about this podcast, Mark, is that, mm-hmm. you, is that I thought you were going to go one way. You went a completely different way that was that was 100% right. And, is, uh, and the idea of seeing something beyond us as a dream is, uh, yeah. is, is something that people can definitely get behind. But I like this but idea. I love, I of, love where you went with yeah. it, though, because that is perfect and very true. Like it's, it's about as theological as it gets. It's one of the main points of the things that Jesus was trying to tell us about, is that there is this concept of heaven here on earth, and it's this perfect dream, and it can happen, and it, it can be here and now. I mean, I love that you went there with it. Yeah. If enough people believe it, right? And so maybe mm-hmm, that's why mm-hmm. I saw this as the thesis of the show is because right. if enough, maybe this is the Christian theologian in me speaking, right? That that if enough people believe it, if enough people get behind it, then we can create it. And I think that that was the message of Jesus, that you've got this horror and despair. And the way that you confront that is getting enough people to dream the same dream of mm. peace and justice and compassion and care. So yeah, and so I love that question, Mark. I, I think you're right. And I've got a question for you as well. All right, I'll okay. see what I can do. So I, I want to know what you what you think about this. This is another theological question that was uh, raised by the show for me. So you've already told us that, no, we don't need a God. But yes, right. you think uh, it's true that there is something beyond us. And so uh, in this season, we do spend some time in hell. We get to take yes. a, a voyage through hell. We even find out that hell was maybe colder than uh, we had <laughs> invented. And so here's my question. Yeah. Do we need, we, we may not need God. Do we need hell? Is, is hell something that is important? Is that important to like human behavior? What do you think about the concept well, of hell and I, how I think, that works? I think the concept of hell has been read into the Bible, of course, uh, and that it's uh, what, what we what we have extrapolated from Dante is not particularly helpful in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's great as a metaphor. Uh, the root uh, and uh, the root of the English word hell actually comes from a word that means divided off from or walled off from. And I think that that as a concept is beautiful because if you think of God as love or hope or compassion or any of that kind of thing, then then when we find ourselves walled off from or are divided away from those things, it is sort of a living hell. I mean, if we think about the times that are the hardest of in our life is when we feel like we those things are hard to grab hold of and hard to reach and hard to participate in. 
And so I think it's a helpful concept, much like your heaven on earth point, uh, when we understand hell to be something that can be a reality for life and not necessarily the afterlife. And that reality is being walled off from the things that are um, life-giving, hope and love and compassion. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I love that thought, Mark, and the thought that, you know, if we take the otherworldliness out of our tradition, the way that Christianity typically understands things, and we understand mm-hmm. heaven as being a possibility here and hell as being something that is a possibility here on earth and that people may be living in one or the other or both, that, that that's powerful for the way that we think about life, that it's not about yeah, maybe making some kind of a confession in the here and now <laughs> to guarantee your soul's going one place or another, but instead right. it's about the way we live our lives and whether or not we're creating a heaven or a hell. Well, gee, that changes the way we mm. live our lives, doesn't it? And uh, It absolutely I, I, does. And it's good theology. Well, it's that. really good theology, and I think that that might be the perfect place to, uh, to to leave this discussion. I absolutely love that point. And so let's like make sure that people know next episode, next week, same same time, uh, and uh, right here and wherever you're watching, you can watch us here again. But what will we be covering, Caleb? What are we going to be looking at super, next week? We've been giving a lot of notice on this one. Weeks of <laughs> I notice. Know, because- there, there are three because there are three seasons on this show, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know about uh, others out there, but I'm relatively new to this show, and I just fell in love with the show, The yeah. Boys. Oh, I just like became obsessed with it because you know it's about superheroes and their powers, right. and what happens if they don't use those powers responsibly? And I was like, wow, and that's what almost does do, what if they what what if they create hell on earth rather than heaven? <laughs> that's right. And so uh, watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Three uh, three seasons, about eight, yes. eight episodes a season. It is challenging to watch at times, and, and um, uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm just a little graphic. Uh, quite graphic. That was kind of where I was going. It can get well, very here's, here's graphic. What, here's what you said last, uh, like last time, Mark. You said it yeah. is not for the faint at heart. <laughs> and I think that's true. It is not, but it's it it's a lot not. of fun to watch. And it, uh, but our our show is for the faint at heart and those not at faint in heart. And we're glad that everyone who is here ha- has joined us and stuck with us to the end. Thanks to all of you who have been listening to the podcast. We very much appreciate it. Make sure that you uh, have that uh, on whatever source you use as a, a consistent download. Check us out uh, on Facebook. We appreciate your time here. Uh, Caleb, cheers. Here's to another great show, and I appreciated all your insights, sir. Uh, We will catch all of you the next time on The Moonshine Jesus Show. Mm